Hello, and welcome to the Vacation Impossible podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, and we are recording in Indianapolis, Indiana. Bet you never thought that would happen, because I certainly didn't. I, uh... Yeah, it's, uh, why am I here, I think, is the most obvious question. Before I dive into that, I just need to apologize for a couple of things. One, um, I'm sorry about the audio quality. I did bring along uh, my better microphone, but I neglected to bring with me the connection to hook it up to any computer. So the USB connection I left at home, so that's not doing anyone any good. I was potentially going to borrow one from someone here, but uh, time just didn't allow for it, so... Uh, I do apologize about that. I also apologize that this is going to be another Raycast. Um, just, it's just me. Again, um, I'll get to why I'm here in Indianapolis shortly, but uh, the reason that I am here is not about Vacation Impossible. I'm here for another cause. And uh, I'm working with, uh, I was, I've been working with a truly amazing group of people who have gone without sleep, without healthy food, uh, without seeing their families very much for an extended period of time. And the last thing I could possibly do is ask them to give up another 90 minutes of their time uh, to record this podcast because they've been such gracious hosts in allowing me to be a part of their, uh, their event. So I didn't want to ask too much more of them because they all have to work tomorrow. And, you know, it's getting a little late today. So why am I here in Indianapolis, Indiana? Well, back in 2008, there was a event that was held on the Internet that uh, was the Mario Marathon. And it was basically three guys in their early 30s playing Mario games, raising money for Child's Play Charity. Child's Play Charity was created by Penny Arcade as... Um, something positive that they were trying to do that was uh, coming out of some accusations about gamers being uh, violent, antisocial, uncaring introverts. And um, there was a particular interaction with a specific person. There were lawsuits and threats and different things. Uh, I, I welcome you to go to uh, Wikipedia to read about it. It's a very interesting story. Uh, I won't retell it here. When Penny Arcade decided to create Child's Play, it was just to support their local uh, children's hospital, which was in Seattle because that's where they're based. But they ended up getting such an amazing response, it grew and grew and grew, and it's become a global movement. So in 2008, when um, three members of, uh, the, I think they were all staff at Purdue University at the time, decided that they were going to have a weekend where they were going to be playing all the Mario games. And they thought, hey, we'll put it up on the internet. They had seen someone else, uh, Cameron, uh, had done something similar where he was uh, he was playing a bunch of games and he was streaming them. I think they were Zelda games. And he was getting really hungry and he didn't have money for pizza. And so people offered to send him money and he ended up raising a lot more money for the pizza than he intended. And he donated the overage to charity. And they thought that this was a great idea. Why don't we just go straight on for charities? Forget the pizza. We can buy our own pizza. And so the Mario Marathon was born. And so in 2009, I was very sick. Uh, my family was out doing their own thing. And I was, uh, I just wanted to watch something because I, wa I wasn't able to sleep and I didn't feel well. I wanted to distract myself from how I was feeling. And uh, I was watching um, They Live, the movie that stars Roddy Roddy Piper. It's a great film. I highly recommend you check it out. It's, you know, it's from the 80s, but basically this, this guy discovers some sunglasses that allow him to discover an alien infiltration. And it has some interesting, um, 
sort of, you know, conversations and, and thought pieces within it about, well, not really conversations, but it, it raises some questions about our consumer culture and our acceptance of reality and things like that. And it's very funny. Uh, some of the lines that uh, that character says was later adapted uh, in uh, Duke Nukem uh, games. So it's had an impact on culture. Anyways, I had finished watching They Live, and I was uh, checking Twitter at the time, and I saw something was trending, a trending topic called Mario Marathon. I didn't know what that was, but I, I, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. And I was following Will Wheaton on Twitter at the time, like most people do. He's sort of the king of Twitter. Even though he doesn't have the most followers, he was a really early adopter, and he kind of uses it well. So when people say, oh, is Twitter all about telling people what you ate for lunch? I say, follow Will Wheaton, and you'll understand uh, how it can be you know, you know, interesting, entertaining, and a force for good and change. So anyways, he tweeted that um, somebody was going to be doing a 100% run of Super Mario Sunshine, and they were doing it to raise money for charity, and he included a link to the Mario Marathon. So I was like, oh, okay, so that's what that uh, trending topic was about. Okay, uh, I'm a little curious. You know, I, I think I had Mario Sunshine somewhere, maybe. I'm not sure if I owned it at the time. And so, I, uh, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to check it out and see what this is all about. So I followed the link, went to MarioMarathon.com, and I saw that they were indeed playing a Mario game. And uh, they were also interacting with people on Twitter and in some chat room somewhere. I didn't know where the chat room was. Uh, I just didn't notice it. So I, you know, I tried interacting on Twitter. And at the time, Ben Cotton, uh, who then was known as Twitface, was reading out um, different things from Twitter. And so I was trying to see... You know, this is the long before the days of like live streaming. There, you know, uh, Ustream was in its infancy. That's what they were using. Twitch didn't exist. Justin TV didn't exist. Uh, you know, YouTube live streaming was not a thing. So uh, I was wondering, is this really live? And so I was trying to tweet at them, and I wanted to ask a question that was maybe a little interesting. And the new Star Trek film, uh, the J.J. Abrams reboot, had just come out at that time, and so I was trying to get them to ask about uh, to ask them about that. And eventually, one of my tweets got read. I was like, wow, this is live. Okay, that was cool. So they're not lying. All right, I don't need to go on Twitter and be like, oh, these guys are lying. Um, that's cool. And so then I just kind of sat back and watched for a little bit. And so, you know, the group had grown from the, the, the core three people. And um, so there was this interactivity and stuff. And so on the surface, it shouldn't be very entertaining. You're watching people in middle America or in Midwest, I think it's called, um, play Mario games, games you've played before, maybe you haven't. Why would that be entertaining? Uh, but it was oddly compelling. And, uh, you know, I was watching. And before I noticed, like, two and a half hours had gone by. And uh, my family got back from what they were doing in False Creek or whatever. And they were like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I was just watching some stupid internet thing. Don't worry, I'll turn it off. I'm sorry, don't worry, I'll turn it off. And they're like, no, hold on, hold on, what is this? And they sit down, you know. It's like, oh, let's give it five minutes. Let's see what this thing is that you've found. I'm like, all right, but, you know, it's, it's going to be boring. You're not going to want to watch this. And then, uh, and then, like, you know, suddenly it's midnight and it's time for bed. <laughs> And we had been watching for hours. And then we tuned in the next day, and we eventually, you know, we were donating, and they were raising, like, $24,000 for Child's Play. And so uh, Child's Play has grown into, and at that time was, a worldwide organization that gave books, toys, and video games to children's hospitals worldwide. And that's because um, when children are in hospital... That, you know, it, it's it's hard on them. It's particularly hard on them. It's still formative years, and it's hard to be a kid and be in hospital at the same time. It's very easy to lose your uh, lose part of your childhood, lose that sense of joy and play and fun. And you know, it's easy um, as great as medical practitioners are uh, to sometimes lose sight of the child or that it's a child you're dealing with, and you can kind of become a number or a problem to solve. And that's hard. That's hard on children that may or may not have coping mechanisms for those sorts of experiences. 
Uh, and so having a video game or a toy or a book can mean a world of difference. And studies have proven time and time again that the medical outcomes as well as the psychological outcomes are vastly improved when those sorts of resources are available. So that's what Child's Play does. It provides those resources. And Child's Play is a very efficient organization. Uh, back then, I think only 2% of the donations they took in went to overhead. They've grown since then. They're more global worldwide. They now help out domestic abuse shelters and uh, libraries and all sorts of things. So they're really expanding. So admittedly, their overhead has grown to 6%. But as a charity organization, a 6% administrative cost is largely unheard of. Uh, so that is absolutely amazing. And when you donate to the Mari Marathon, they never see the money. They get notified that you've donated, but they don't get to touch the money. It goes directly to Child's Play. They see it kind of whiz by so they can thank you for it, so they know about it, but they can't touch it. So, you know, the, they're not asking for a lot of trust in that regard. They're asking for your time. And uh, it's very entertaining, and so I've been watching it ever since. Um, and it's uh, and it's been great. And you know, I was able to win some T-shirts. Uh, I've actually, I think, I've set a record for being the person who's won the most T-shirts. Uh, and it was organically. Um, you know, I saw that they were giving away T-shirts uh, in year two was when they started to do it with the Star Get shirts, I believe it was, um, or maybe that was year three. I think it was year three. And so I tried to, you know, I tried to win some, and I did. I managed to because I was figuring out how they were doing it. They were running multiple contests with, like, a minimum of $5 entry. So I figured, okay, I'm going to enter each drawing one time at $5. Um, they also have tweet a link contests. So tweeting the link to their website got you entered into a contest. That was free. I did a lot of that. And so in a lot of those, in those early years, Mario Marathon 3, 4, maybe also 5, um, I was actually the top Twitter contributor. Uh, so I felt a little sense of pride in that. And the numbers that they were posting, were growing and getting to be quite substantial. Not that, you know, 24000 isn't substantial, but they've gotten, they had two years where they did over $112,000 during their event. So uh, I've been supporting them for years. And um, as a kid, when I was 10 years old, I had appendicitis, but it wasn't a standard appendicitis. It was a pinprick leak that caused poison to leak into my abdomen. And so I was in agony, and it took days for the doctors to figure out what was going on, then to basically clean out the poison and, you know, stitch it up, and then for me to recover. So I was in hospital for the better part of a month. And I remember that there was the option, and I think the cost of something like $13 a day, to have a black and white television wheeled into my room. And it wasn't there the first couple of days. And then I think my mother or my grandfather or someone kind of stepped up, and it because we were really low income when I was a child, and they were willing to do that. And this is when Star Trek The Next Generation was in really heavy syndication. So it was on, on the various channels that were available, the six-odd channels that were available. Uh, you know, I was able to watch it, you know, six or seven times a day. And so that was, I think, a big part of where my love and appreciation of Star Trek came from was because it really allowed me to focus on something other than the agony I was in and the place that I was in that was unchanging, that I couldn't move without hurting, that going to the bathroom was a challenge, all these sorts of things. Uh, you know, people brought me a clown doll that played music. It was sweet and it meant a lot, but it did very little to really help distract me from what was going on or give me something else to think about. I wasn't into clowns. I didn't have something else like that, so it wasn't reminding me of easier times. And like I said, it was really sweet, and I appreciate that my uncle brought that for me, and I still remember it to this day, obviously. Um, 
but things like that only went so far, whereas having the source of entertainment made a big difference. And um, years later in grade 12, when I had mononucleosis and I was hospitalized once again for the better part of a month, I was able to have a Nintendo 64 brought in with a Star Wars game. And so I was really able to, again, focus on something else as I was recovering. And I believe that those things enabled me to recover faster. And I have more fond memories of that experience than I would have otherwise, because I would only remember the agony and screaming out in pain at 10 years old and having a nurse tell me I needed to be quiet because I was upsetting the other, the other people as they were pulling something out of me that hurt. I don't want to get too gruesome into those details, but I can really relate to this charity uh, quite a bit. It means, it means a lot. I understand the impact that it has. And so I've been supporting it for years and years in every way I can, donating money, promoting it on social media. I've, I've Skyped in. Uh, you know, I, one of the things I did with winning the t-shirts is I went to famous landmarks like the Louvre and the Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower and the Coliseum and all these different famous places, and, you know, Vegas, what have you, the, you know, Hoover Dam. And I'd have my picture taken in the Mario Marathon t-shirt and then I would post that to social media, Twitter, send it into the Mario Marathon. They were very nice to display it every now and then uh, as a way of getting the word out. And then when John got me into things like Comic-Con, where it turns out that you can pay $40, $60, $100 to get your picture taken with a celebrity, I thought, well, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, I will wear my Mario Marathon t-shirt and get them to maybe point at the logo, and maybe I'll have a chance to open up some dialogue with a celebrity that might uh, be able to get an endorsement or some support, a tweet, anything can go a really far way. And so Will Wheaton had supported it, obviously, because he had sent out that tweet. And that year he had sent out the tweet, or... I think it was that year he had called in on Skype. And so that interview, uh, I saw the analytics afterwards, and the donations really spiked when that was happening. When he sent out the tweet, it went up, and then when he called in, it spiked again. Because, uh, again, also he tweeted about it at the time. And so that was a big deal. And I don't think he called in for Mario Marathon 4, where I had won two more T-shirts, a red and a green one as well as another Stargate one for Mindy, because I was very lucky that year. I had a command console set up. I had my netbook, my desktop, the, you know, the, the, the stream on the TV. You know, I had my phone. Everything was ready to go. It was all about winning the T-shirts and, of course, supporting the charity. So when I went and I realized, oh, I could go get a picture with Will Wheaton. He was one of the lowest-priced people because he's like that. He doesn't want to make it prohibitively or ruinously expensive to see him. Uh, so it was like $35, $40 or something. And so um, not only did I get a picture of him pointing at the shirt because he knew what it was, um, which is fantastic, but I was able to talk to him about Mario Marathon 5, which at that time was still four months away. And I was able to help arrange him to call in that time. And on Mario Marathon Five, I think it was, he was also able to contact Felicia Day, and she had a call in as well, and it ended up, I believe, being the day of, before, or after her birthday. So they all sang happy birthday to her, and so being able to contribute in that way was fantastic. So I got my picture taken with the Mario Marathon t-shirt with tons of people, you know, Alan Rock, Patrick Stewart, just everyone I could get my hands on. And, you know, sometimes I was able to have an organic conversation and talk about it, and sometimes it was just, uh, oh, would you mind pointing at my t-shirts for a charity? They say, okay, take the picture, Nice to meet you, because they've got a lot of people. They don't have time to have a lengthy conversation. But when I was able to explain it to them, I tried to. Uh, Will Wheaton was the one I was really able to convert, because then on a subsequent year, I think it was Mario Marathon 6 or 7, he had the Will Wheaton Experience TV show on the Sci-Fi Network for one season. And I, I reached out to him on Twitter, 
and I was able to connect with him, and so uh, I was able to coordinate the suggestion that wouldn't it be great if he could mention it in his show? And I guess I hit it at just the right time that he was able to, and they extended the marathon a couple of days so that they would make his uh, make the uh, the air date of that. Uh, and so he did mention it on his show, and that was absolutely amazing. The fact that I had anything to do with that, whatever small piece, really it was really fulfilling. It meant a lot, um, and that's something I'm really proud of. So. I've, you know, supported them in so many different ways over the years, and uh, they've been really responsive to that. It's meant a lot. Uh, for the last few marathons, they took all of the pictures of me in the t-shirt at the famous landmarks with the celebrities, and they put that into a, um, a slideshow that they would put up, because when they begin the event, they start, they start the live stream uh, the night before, and then they let it run um, for several hours as sort of a load test, give people an opportunity to tune in and get set up and test their stuff. You know, oh, will it work on my Wii U? Do I need to do something else? Do I need a Chromecast or whatever? It gives some people this time to get ready, and it builds some anticipation. There's a countdown clock. People can still donate. Little automated, you know, Mario will come out, hit the coin box, or whatever they had before. There was a green title for a while that said, oh, so-and-so donated so much. You could do that. And so they had some different videos, some music videos and stuff that they played, and they worked my, my pictures as a slideshow into that presentation. Uh, so that was really nice. That, that meant a lot. And... Um, you know, so I've really supported them over the years. Uh, in one year that they weren't able to do it because of family commitments, uh, but then they came back. And so the point of all of this, as it relates to this podcast, is this year I was able to appear on the Mario Marathon. Um, and it was amazing. Um, Nate had messaged me on Facebook and Mindy had seen it, because it was sort of all three of us in a chat sort of thing. And she thought that he was encouraging us to say, uh, we're going to attend by clicking attend on the event on Facebook, which is one of the ways they promote it. Now, I had already clicked it, click I would be attending. Uh, and so I had come home from work, or maybe it was the day after, and I, was, uh, I don't have Facebook Messenger on my phone, because I find it really obtrusive. But um, when I was on the desktop, I was like, oh, there's a message from Nate. Oh, and Mindy says, oh, he's just reminding us to say we're going to be attending it on the Facebook event. And I was like, well, that's a little unusual because we're like core supporters ever since Mario Marathon 2. And uh, I had already clicked attend. And so it was kind of a foregone conclusion. It, it, this was, you know, they had done it the previous year. This wasn't after the missed year. So why was he reaching out to us? Maybe he's being funny. I, I, if so, I'd like to see the joke. So uh, I went to Facebook and I saw the message and I realized that he was inviting us to attend in person. Uh, and I asked, I was like, wait a minute, do you mean like physically go there? And he was like, yeah. So, you know, we gave it 24 hours to talk it out. Uh, you know, Mindy has had some health challenges, and so she's been out of work for uh, several weeks now, trying to address those as rapidly as possible because they're very painful and frustrating for her. Um, so we talked about, you know, would it be okay? How would this work? You know, what are your feelings about it? sleep on it, that sort of thing. She was really, really supportive, really encouraging me to go because we both believe in this cause so much. And they're such wonderful people. You know, um, we've, you know, some of them have added us on their, their Facebook friends list, follow us on Twitter. You know, we're having a good day. We're having a bad day. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll give us a word of encouragement or they'll laugh at our jokes or they'll, they'll tweet something funny. Uh, so, you know, we feel like we've kind of gotten to know them over the years, even beyond just watching them on our, our computer screens uh, once a year. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, I, I don't have the words. It was so amazing to have been invited. Um, 
And so thankfully I have a job where I still had a week's worth of vacation that I hadn't allocated to anything. And, you know, I had, I, you know, I kind of had enough money to kind of make it happen. Um, so I was able to look at flights and figure out a, you know, a really low cost hotel. Uh, this hotel has been pretty good. Uh, it's, it's a longer uh, term, longer stay hotel. So they only do turn down service once a week. Uh, I've been here six days now, so I don't think I'll get the benefit of that turn down service, but it's been absolutely fine. I'm a six or seven minute drive away from Mari Marathon HQ 3.0. It was at Brian's house, then Brian moved, so it was at another house, and now this year it was at Jed's. Um, and so this is, yeah, this is six or seven minutes away from 3.0. Uh, I had the intention of, I, did, I didn't want to be, I only wanted to contribute. I didn't want to ask any of anything. I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Um, but Nate offered to pick me up from the airport, which was amazing. Um, and he gave me a lift, you know, here to the hotel. The next morning, it was a monsoon. There was intense rain. I'm looking out there. I'm like, I'm going to be soaking wet if I walk in this because it's a 45-minute walk. And my intention was always to walk and find my own way and get an Uber, whatever it takes to get it done because I didn't want to ask anything of anyone. I only wanted to help. Um, but when I saw how bad the weather was and everyone had been so nice about offering, you know, to give me a lift and stuff, that I was like, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll see if someone's coming by. And actually, Ben Cotton had already offered to pick me up because he was going to be passing right by my hotel on the way to Jed's at the perfect time for me to be there for the beginning, which is when I was scheduled to be there. And being, you know, even just being scheduled to be there at the beginning of the event was really nice because they could have just... I'm the junior guy. They could have given me the late-night shifts. They could have given me clean-up duty. I would have been happy to do that, uh, you know, pay my dues, that sort of thing. Um, so anyways, I was, you know, um, so Ben Cotton picked me up, and he was nothing. He couldn't have been nicer. And so then the next day, uh, it got fairly warm. Now, it's not, like, super warm, but it was a lot warmer than the previous day and a little warmer than, it was, than I was used to. I put in quite a few hours on the first day, so I was tired. Um, I didn't have my travel hat, and the sun was bright, no clouds, I had no sunblock. I was worried if I go for a 45-minute walk in that, I'm going to burn the top of my hairless head. So, you know, I just kind of politely said, hey, you know, anybody coming by, chance I can get a lift, and, uh, and that became kind of consistent. They were so nice, i just hop on chat and say, hey, cowman needs an extraction, was sort of the joke. Uh, you know, it was like a military, I'll see you, you know, exfiltration zone one or something like that. Uh, and they were always nice about giving me a lift back, and there it was always really timely. They were they just could not have been nicer. This has been such an amazing experience. I don't know where to begin talking about it. As amazing an experience as it has been, getting here was a bit of a challenge. Um, because of what's been going on with United lately, uh, and other various things, uh, even Air Canada has been having some issues lately where... They've been cancelling flights, bumping people, overbooking flights. WestJet is the only airline, major airline, that gets me anywhere close to here uh, that does not oversell flights. And so I didn't want to have to go through that headache, so I decided to book WestJet. Uh, but that meant that I had to fly from Vancouver to Calgary to Chicago to Indianapolis. And so for the first two wings, from Vancouver to Calgary, from Calgary to Chicago, that's with WestJet. But the last leg was with a, co a code share partner. I think it's a discount version of American Airlines. So, you know, uh, Mindy was, you know, feeling well enough to drive me to the airport. Uh, so I was able to upgrade 
uh, with a nominal fee to first class for my the first two parts of my journey. But for the last part, I wasn't able to because it was the co-chair partner, and it just there was there didn't seem to be a way to do it. So that's fine. Upgraded to first class, and that was nice. And so I'm on my first flight, and you know, with first class, you can all the WestJet is called economy plus. It's nice. They remove the middle seats, so there's plenty of room. Uh, you know, you get additional legroom and stuff like that. That's very nice. You're at the front of the plane and early boarding, sort of the standard stuff. And of course, you get like unlimited alcoholic beverages, for example. I'm not a heavy drinker when I'm flying. I've got all these connections to make. I didn't want to have my judgment impaired in any way. Uh, so it's kind of funny. They're like, oh, did you want like some pretzels? Did you want some food? Did you want something to drink? A beer, a wine, a spirit, or something? And so I just looked up and I was like, I would like some cookies and a Coca-Cola, please, because <laughs> I'm 12. And uh, I felt a little silly, but the, the, the flight attendant was like, you know what, you're going to be my easiest customer all day. Thank you. Like, thank you for this. Uh, so I had that, and that was fine. Um, and I, I, had, um, I just wasn't hungry because it was early in the day, and I had some food at the airport. So a meal didn't make sense. And then uh, the second leg of the journey from Calgary to Chicago was delayed by, I don't know, 40 to 60 minutes. It was a while. And uh, there was some issues with the uh, hydraulics and the landing gear that they were repairing. And so obviously you want them to fix it. Uh, but it was funny because I was like wondering if there was going to be a problem. Because the only time WestJet will bump somebody is if they have to downgrade from a larger aircraft to a smaller one. And there are fewer seats just because of the smaller size of the aircraft. Which is completely understandable. I think everyone would agree. So I was worried that that's what was happening. This is my fear. This is why I booked WestJet. But... Uh, eventually everything was fine, and when I was still waiting to find out, the flight attendant at one point comes by and says, what kind of meal do you want? And I'm like, we're, we're going to be okay. Again, you know, first class flying to Chicago was very nice. And then um, the one problem transferring in Calgary was that because you're going from the domestic terminal, Vancouver to Calgary, to the international terminal, Calgary to Chicago, uh, you have to go outside of... Like, they've got this cool little thing, this, like, shuttle thing that takes you, I think it's called Link, that, where they've got these little golf cart things, and they'll drive you over to the proper terminal. That's nice, but they deposit you on the outside of security, so you have to pass through security a second time. And you get to bypass some of that line because of where it deposits you, um, but it's after the separation from TSA PreCheck, or Nexus in Canada, um, and the regular line. So while you get to jump part of the line, you don't get to go into the, the, the Nexus TSA pre-check line. You go in the normal line. And I haven't been through that normal line in like four years. So I had to take off my shoes and, you know, do that kind of stuff. Like it was a little unusual and it took a lot longer. Um, but I still had, you know, plenty of time. Got to my gate like 20 minutes early. So it was, it was okay. There was quite a bit of walking involved even after all that. Uh, so that wasn't a big issue. I was still feeling good. I was going to, you know, second flight with first class. I was looking forward to it. It was going to be fine. And I get to Chicago and get off the plane. It was delayed because of that issue in Calgary. Uh, but I'm still feeling good. I'm like, hey, all right, I'm getting close. This is, this, is, this is good. I'm having a good time, right? And I get off in there. It is a zoo at the terminal at the gate because the, the flight had been delayed. And this flight was going somewhere else. It was going back or on to somewhere else. I don't know. But there were tons of people wanting to board, and they'd been waiting an extra 40 minutes. And they were everywhere. And it was chaos. They were making announcements. And lineups for this flight was getting caught into lineups of other flights and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I need to get out of here. I was going to ask for a tip about how to get to my last flight, but 
the staff are just surrounded by a mob. And so me being there is not adding anything to the situation. So I'm like, you know what? I'm a smart guy. I've traveled a lot. I can read. You know, I can probably get on the Wi-Fi and download a map of terminals. Whatever I need to do, I'll find my way. I've been to O'Hare a bunch of times, and I've had a lovely experience. You know, I would go to Reggio's and get the deep dish pizza, and it would be great. And so I love having a layover at O'Hare that's like longer than an hour because it gives me time for pizza. Good pizza that I don't get back home. So I was like, this is going to be fine. I'm going to figure it out. So I start walking uh, and walking. And I'm in Terminal M, or the gates are all M. But it apparently turned out to be Terminal 5 for some reason. I don't know why. So I'm walking around. I'm walking around. There's no signs about any other terminals or any gates that don't begin with M. There's no one to ask any questions of. The... The the um, the monitors that are up that would tell like arriving and departing flights and times and things like that, they're all broken. Every single one in the terminal, end to end. I eventually find in um, a touchscreen interface that I think was largely meant to tell you where the food is, but you are able to type in a gate so it can show you on the map and how to get there. So I type in the gate that I was looking for, which was L2C. I'm in M. I'm looking for L2C. And maybe this is a little ridiculous, but I was wondering if, like, maybe that meant look to see, like, you got to look to see, like, this, this gate's unassigned, and that's the smartest way we could think to write it on your, on your boarding pass. Um, because this is, you know, later in the day, this is my, my, this is my third airport. So I was like, I don't even know if this is a gate or if it's up to date. I was having trouble connecting to the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi wasn't working there. So I find this touchscreen and I type in L2C and it says uh, this gate is off-site and gives you no more information, not where off-site it is, what that means or how to get there. So I'm walking, I walk all the way back to my the gate that I got out of. I thought, hey, maybe the WestJet people have not been, you know, um, mobbed as much as the time has passed. And no, they were still, it was crazy. I couldn't find staff anywhere. I was looking at some other airlines. Uh, you know, there was some Arabic ones. They, they didn't speak very good English. They didn't understand what I was asking. And, you know, I had th a three-hour, 45-minute layover at O'Hare. Now, 40 minutes of that had been eaten up by the delay in Calgary. So I had three, three hours and five minutes. Like, that's a lot of time, right? So, but I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting tired. I'm getting hungry. This is getting ridiculous. There's no signage. So eventually I go up to the wrong end of the, the TSA screening area because I thought maybe I can ask a TSA person. At least they're paid to be here, you know. The gift shops were mobbed. Everyone was mobbed. But I thought maybe if I go from the back end and I saw some TSA people standing together. So I go up and I'm like, I'm very sorry. I'm trying to solve this myself, I swear to God. But how do I get to gate L2C? And he says, well, that's not a gate. And I said, okay, but it's on my boarding pass. So what does that mean? Well, I don't know. Can I show you my boarding pass? Well, I suppose... Okay, so I get it out and I show it to him. And he goes, that's not a gate. I don't know what this means. I don't know where you're supposed to be. I'm sorry I can't help you. TSA doesn't know where I'm supposed to go. Like, what do you do? So I kind of wait a couple minutes and he walks away. And there's this other TSA woman. And I'm like, I got to try this again. Because where else am I going to go? Am I going to start, like, waiting in line to get food and get to the front of the McDonald's line and be like, can you tell me where this gate is? Is that going to be my answer? So I go up to her, and I'm like, can you tell me where this is? And she goes, well, you're in the wrong place. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Can you tell me where the right place is and perhaps how to get there? Because there's no signage. I would not be bothering you if I could read a sign, any sign, that would guarantee what gate I needed to get to for my flight if it had been changed, or, you know, where terminal gate L2C is. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. You know, you need to leave the building. 
They said, okay, where do I do that? Because I couldn't even find a clearly marked exit. Most of the exits I saw looked like emergency exits. I don't want to set off an alarm in an airport. Are you kidding me? I, you know, I wouldn't want someone to do that to me because who knows what kind of lockdown is going to happen. I don't want that. So um, I said, okay, well, I, I need you to tell me where to go very clearly. I'm good at following directions, but I need some. She's like, okay, go over there. Go to your left. Go, go out the exit. It's just a single door marked exit. Uh, you need to get on the you need to get on the tram. You need to go to terminal three. So you're and I'm like, well, where am I? She's like, you're at terminal five. How did you get here? I said I got off a plane. She's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I'm like, there's no signage anywhere. And she goes, yeah, I know. I'm like, there's no one to ask questions of. And she goes, yeah, it's like that. I'm like all the terminals are broken. She's like, yeah, it's been a problem. I'm like, okay. I mean, if somebody could just write, hand write a sign, print it off on their computer, laminate it something somewhere. Hey, other terminals go this way. That would be a big improvement. O'Hare, I hope someone's listening. So I get on the tram and it goes from five to three, which begs the question, where's four? I mean, I don't care, but it's not a logical progression. I get to terminal three and I finally, after, you know, many wrong turns, I get to L2C. And again, a lot of the, a lot of the screens aren't working. And so I get there, and the flight information, it shows the current flight and the next flight. Neither of them are my flight. And so I'm finally able to find a board that's working after much searching. And I realize my gate is 2B or B2A or something like that. Or, or L2B, that's what it was. L2B. Or L, B2, I don't know. It was crazy. G2A, that's what it was. G2A. So eventually find G, I find G2, I have trouble finding G2A, I eventually find it, it's fine. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know what? Yeah, and at this point I have like maybe an hour and a half till my flight, something like that, because this ate up a lot of time. So I'm like, you know what, I'm exhausted, I think some food will help, I'm going to go get a Coke, and I'm going to go get some good deep dish pizza. I'm in Chicago, I've earned this one, I'm so tired, I'm going to find a plug, plug in my phone, figure this out. So I see a place that says Lou's Pizza Express, and I'm like, great. Uh, it's like Lou's Chicago Deep Dish Pizza Express. I'm like, great. Express means it's probably fast, uh, hopefully not too expensive, and it's Chicago-style pizza. It's not Reggio's, but hey, Reggio's might not be the best in town. I'm going to try something new, and it was not good. The woman that was working there was on her phone the whole time behind the, the register, thinking that we couldn't figure out that that's what that is. Other than that, if, if it wasn't her playing on her phone, she's staring at all the keys on the register a lot, <laughs> very intently. Uh, so anyways, she, she, you know, she makes the food, but like all the, all the cheese doesn't melt and it's just like, it's a lot of bread with a little bit of cheese on top and it was, and like the pepperoni was somehow overcooked, but the cheese didn't melt. Like, how do you do that? Uh, so that wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, I get on this flight and the guy sitting next to me was okay, but I'm, you know, I'm in economy and that's fine. I mean, I fly economy all the time, but after the day I was having, I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I have my window seat. It's okay. Um, and the, the total time in the air is like 45 minutes. It's like 57 minutes, including taxiing and stuff. So I ended up landing like 10 minutes early or something. Um, and so, you know, yeah, Nate met me at the airport, and, and things were fine from that point forward. But O'Hare has really got a problem with their various terminals. I've, I think I've largely flown, I think, United. And so United, I think all their flights are in the same terminal, but transferring from WestJet to American, it's a nightmare. And the other thing is, is once you get on that tram, you're outside. You're outside their security perimeter, you're outside the building. O'Hare is not a single airport. It's like five that happen to be near each other. There's no transferring from one to the other in a way that, you know, you don't have to re-go through security. And my ticket for the code share partner did not have TSA pre-check on it, even though I provided my pass ID from my Nexus to WestJet when I did check-in. 
So again, I had to go through security, but again, no TSA pre-check, despite having paid for my Nexus card. And this one was really invasive. Not only was it, you know, take off um, your shoes, this was take everything out of your pockets, including your boarding pass, but still hold on to your boarding pass. Take out your ID, but still hold on to your ID. Uh, you know, I had a handkerchief in my back pocket, and that was a problem. Because I guess it's the full body scanner where you put your hands up and they, I think they do a 3D imaging of you. And so if there's bulges and stuff that shows up in the 3D imaging, that can, you know, you need a pat down. So anyways, I take everything out of my pockets, hold it in my hands, put it above, they do the scan. And I guess I was either selected for further screening or they didn't get what they want. Or maybe this is standard operating procedure, but then I got the pat down. And this was a very friendly pat down. Um, this guy... This, this, this guy's hands made contact with my genitals. There's no nice way to say it. Um, and that's not pleasant. That's not what I go for. I don't think people should be subjected to this sort of thing, especially when you've got, you've got Nexus. You've been screened. You've got TSA pre-check. You've paid the extra amount. You've handed over your data. You're a known traveler. That's what it's called. I've been traveling for a while. They've got all my personal data. They know where I work. They've got my fingerprints. They've got a retinal scan of me. Like, do they really have to grab my balls? Does that have to happen too? Is that like I? I don't want to become this guy, you know, railing against security theater um, because you know I, I try to be respectful. And as much as it seems like it's not effective, and you know, Adam Conover has covered why it's not effective very well in his Adam Ruins Everything series. But you know, maybe there's things that we're not totally aware of. Because like, here's a thought. I watch border security sometimes, and they talk about how they identify people that they need to give additional screening to. And a lot of it is sort of like um, facial expression, uh, you know, gait analysis, nervous twitches, things like that. Things that show, uh, or that have been traditionally given to show anxiety or something else suspicious that they need to look further into. And so who knows, maybe the pat-down is to try and trigger an anxiety reaction. I think that's one theory that hasn't really been posited. That waiting in the line and having orders barked at you is meant to put you in a stressful situation so that you may or may not give off the indicators they're looking for. Maybe. I don't know. It's a theory. But I try to take things at face value and give people the benefit of the, uh, benefit of the doubt. It was a bit of an ordeal. And so O'Hare used to be one of my favorite airports to go to. Um, not really anymore. And that's, that's really a shame. Uh, it's really disappointing. And there's just no need for it. If you secure the tram, you know, it should take you to the other side of security if you've already passed through security. I went, through, I went to four airports and passed through security three times. And the only reason I didn't have to on the final one because it was my final destination. And I got off the plane and just went and saw Nate and came to my hotel. So that was, uh, that was a bit of an ordeal. Um, like I said, four years not going through regular security. Had to do it twice to get here. But it was absolutely worth it. So um, being on the Mario Marathon has been an amazing experience. You know, um, everyone associated with the marathon that I've been watching for years has been so nice. And, you know, you, you see people when there's a camera in front of their face. Maybe they act a little different. Um, you know, maybe they're not always that nice. What if they're, I don't know, raging racists or homophobes or they swear like sailors as soon as they get off camera? How do you know? Like, are they chain smokers? Are they doing drugs? Like, who, who knows? Because you know where the camera is most of the time. And so, you know, you probably try to present your best face and you're raising money for charity with a potential child-based audience. And that's all great. But you got to wonder, who are they really? And, of course, they had to wonder about me. Um... Because, you know, I'm a stranger off the internet. How do they know I'm not a serial killer? 
this is kind of the only way to really know. I mean, they've kind of known of me and have been connected to me on social media for years, but really, like, I don't know if they've listened to my podcast or watched many or if any of my videos, but even that, you know, it's, it's selected snippets. I edit out, you know, uh, a coughing fit. Am I also editing out, you know, raging racism or who knows what? So they have their doubts about me. I have their doubts about them. That happens in any case, I think, when you're meeting someone in person for the first time, especially, uh, you know, based from the Internet. Um, so, but no, they are all exactly like they appear on camera. They're all really nice people and so caring and, and giving and funny and smart and generous with their time. And it's, it was fantastic. And so having been invited was just amazing. And some of the other people that were invited were great. Uh, meeting Leedsy was fantastic. She was just a, just a, a, a real uh, charm to work with. Um, and uh, Tara was fantastic. She was, she was great. Um, D-Pad, uh, you know, people kind of joke about, about D-Pad, but he is very smart and he's funny. And there was a running gag because they had rigged up something where Part of the funny thing for us was that uh, we were going to appear through a warp pipe because that's a Mario, you know, trope, if you will, that things come through a warp pipe. So the idea was, is like, uh, visitors were going to pop out of the warp pipe. So they built this giant warp pipe. Um, and they, they realized they needed sound effects for that. So what they did was they had w built down um, the, sound, the warping sound effect, and they had also hired through Fiverr a voiceover actor to say people's names. And so, um, you know, I'm known as Cowman, and so they had got him recording saying, Cowman. And they'd gotten D-pad, oh, D-pad, and stuff like that. But when they had coded the panel where we press our name before we pop out so it plays, they got, um, they had misnamed the files. The file name for Cowman was mislabeled D-pad and vice versa. So everything else was coded properly. It was just the file names were swapped. So he pressed D-pad, it says Cowman. Cowman says D-pad. So it was a running gag. They were like the same person. Um, and we got along really well. We're both fast talkers, which um, if that's causing problems for you on this podcast, I apologize. Um, and so we moved from topic to topic. And we got really passionate and excited. We're both kind of into retro games and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I got along really well with him. Uh, Tax Megan was there, and she's just a lovely person. And uh, her son, um, Tax Kid Jeep, was there, and he's great. He's, he doesn't speak up a lot, but when he does, he's insightful, he's intelligent, he's witty, and he's hilarious. He's a really nice kid. Uh, he played Sunshine for a little bit when we were stuck. And so that was really great. Uh, Andrew was awesome. Uh, he wasn't uh, on stream much, but he was behind the scenes a lot. And he was, you know, he's very generous with his time. Very nice. Good sense of humor. Nice, nice guy. Um, you know, it was just, it was wonderful meeting all these people. I'm probably leaving people out. I apologize for that. It's, I'm so tired. Uh, that was one thing I learned really quickly is, you know, you watch something and you think I can maybe do part of it better. Uh, I know that I can't be as technologically savvy as Brian. I know that I'm not as musically I'm not musically inclined at all. I couldn't entertain or tell stories as well as Jed. Uh, I probably couldn't read Twitter or donation comments as well as Ben Cotton. I know these things, and that's fine. But I, I was when I've I've watched over the years, and I thought, you know what? I think there's there's a couple of things I could do a little better. And I thought one of them was I won't cross talk as much. You know, if somebody else starts talking, I'm the junior guy. I'm gonna shut up. If someone else is talking, I'm not gonna start talking. I think I lasted. If I was generous, 45 minutes. If I was real, I'm going to say 90 seconds before I was cross-talking on the stream, which is hard. You know, you start reading a tweet, and you don't want to cut yourself off because someone else started talking because that's somebody else's words. 
It's not like it's my stupid opinion I'm cutting off. Or a donation comment where there's money behind the words. You really, you want to give that, that person their moment, their due, their acknowledgement, and let their comments be out there. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a challenge. The crosstalk is harder than it looks to avoid. Um, also because, you know, you're used to maybe carrying on at a party or something, one conversation, while another conversation's happening on the other side of the room. It's not that unusual. So... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to adjust to that, and I think I can do better in that regard. And the other thing was, I was like, well, I'll manage my sleep schedule better. They won't be counting on me. I'm going to be an extra guy. I'm an extra pair of hands. So I'm going to make sure I get rest, and I take time off, and I'm not pushing myself too hard, and all this kind of stuff. And first couple nights, I stayed later than I should. Um, I forget if it was the first or second night. It was uh, getting on to like 6 o'clock at night. And I was like, okay, my shift is, my, my scheduled shift is technically over. And I've got a little bit of energy. I think I'll hang out for a little bit. I'll wait till somebody's leaving to maybe ask for a ride to my hotel, which is only five or six minutes away. Um, and I swear to God, I blinked and it was 11 o'clock. Five hours, just gone. Um, it's so much fun. But, and, and it happens quickly and time just flies. And I got back to the hotel like midnight and I had to be back at like 9 a.m. or something. And so that's like you got to decompress a little before you can get to sleep because you're you know you're you're performing you're in front of people and there's stress and there's there's anxiety and expectations and things are happening quickly and you're trying to read things without having a chance to pre-read them and you're saying them out loud doing a dry read dancing playing a game all this kind of stuff and so and not eating the best food which you know I mean that's the best that can happen in that kind of a situation that's not the fault of a single person at all or any group of people that's just the nature of it and part of it is the choices I was making ooh donuts I'll have three. Sorry, <laughs> if somebody wanted a donut and didn't get one because I had three. I did. I own that. Um, so I was really tired. And I really didn't, because of the nature of the schedule and my challenge is getting to sleep when, you know, you're coming down from an event where you're very excited and full of energy uh, and energized is kind of hard. So I've been sleep deprived for a good chunk of this. Um, but I've gotten so much lovely feedback from so many people from original people on the marathon, I mean, Brian and Nate and Shanna and Dan, uh, and just everyone, everyone has been so nice um, talking about sort of my contribution and saying that I fit in with the team, uh, you know, and that, oh, you're natural at this, and it's, I mean, throughout my life, I, I, it's a challenge for me to accept compliments sometimes. I have to remind myself, feel like they're, it's like they're giving you a gift. You don't say no to a gift. So, you know, and I try not to deflect too much or demur too much because that diminishes the gift of the compliment. But uh, it, it, it's, it, it meant a lot. I might feel and seem a little awkward not sharing how to respond because sometimes it comes out of nowhere and stuff, and that's not a criticism. That's just me. Um, but it really, it, it means more than I have words to express the fact that, that I've been able to, um, you know, bring value to this and help them out and give them opportunity to, you know, they were saying, like, you know, with some of the people, um, possibly more so than me, uh, it allowed them to sleep more. Um, and, you know, manage their involvement better, and that means that means a lot, and um, there were a couple of particular things where they kind of got me to take the lead, uh, not just, uh, I was, I can't believe I can say this, but this year, I beat the first two games of the Mario Marathon. <laughs> and this, that, that second one, Super Mario Land, the one that I had been sort of kind of hinted at that I would end up having to play. Uh, that was largely on my own. I mean, I needed Brian to adjust the TV, and he covered for me while I had, like, a brief, uh, uh, you know, pee, drink, and snack break, uh, and then adjusted the TV. But I was able to beat that largely on my own. And there was, like, a 0.7-second delay on the game, and I was able to make it to, I think, near the end of the third world uh, with that delay. 
Um, and they've said really complimentary things. They said it was amazing that I was able to get that far with that delay. Once the delay was gone, I was able to beat it in like three lives. It wasn't a problem. Because uh, I practiced a little bit. I practiced on the bus to and from work for like a week because I had that much warning on my 3DS and that was enough to kind of refresh my memory and kind of figure out how the mechanics work. Because the jumping, when you first play Mario Land, feels a little slippery, but then you kind of adjust for it and get, get used to it. So it gets a lot easier after a little bit. So it's just, uh, it's been amazing. Even after the marathon, um, today I was able to hang out with Jed and D-Pad, and then later D-Pad had to fly out, but, you know, Dan and Brian. And uh, they're just, so, they're, they've been so great. Uh, they were so concerned with making sure that I had a fun time, and that I got to do my vacation, because it's my vacation time, and that I got to get, like, an Indianapolis experience and stuff like that. And, like, they could have ignored me today. You know, they could have slept in. I could have slept in at the hotel, you know, and just ate junk food all day and got caught up on Facebook and whatever, record this podcast. I didn't have to go anywhere and do anything. I would have been fine. But they really went out of their way to include me in breakfast and lunch and dinner and taking me to the Indianapolis Speedway, which was really cool. It's enormous. Like, I think you can fit, like, two Vatican cities inside that thing. And that blows my mind. When they said the Vatican City can fit in, like, half of it. Like, you can talk about, oh, this many football fields and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. I've been to the Vatican. I know what the Vatican City, the scale of it. I've seen it. I've, been a, I've driven around it. I've walked within it. Wow, it's big. Uh, so that's, that's cool. And uh, Nate took us through the museum and talked about uh, some of the stuff there. Uh, talked about Danny Sullivan because Dan- Danny Sullivan's Indy Heat, Indy, Indianapolis. So that was great. Uh, we went to the Children's Museum, which I believe is, uh, they said is the largest children's museum in the world, which, I mean, admittedly, these two things aren't necessarily straight up my alley, but they did keep asking me, what are you into? What are you into? And I, sadly, the only answer I had was amusement parks and water parks, and there aren't any that are like, close enough, and I didn't bring my swimming trunks because there's no pool here at this hotel. Uh, so the water park was straight out, and there's no amusement parks that are you know, it would have been substantial. We need a plan. Like, I know how amusement parks go. You make a day of it, you have a plan, you start early, and you stay all day. That wasn't practical for today. For one thing, like, D-pad needed to be at the airport at 1. It wouldn't have worked. Um, so, you know, race car driving, um, you know, stock car, Indianapolis, NASCAR, whatever it is, uh, does, it doesn't have a lot of appeal to me. It's not something I was generally interested in prior to this, but I felt like I have a new appreciation and understanding of the differences. It's interesting. People in Indianapolis, not big fans of NASCAR. Um, they say that NASCAR is too packed, that cars can't tra- pass each other, and that it's just really loud. Um, and so they don't feel that it's a good sport, whereas the Indianapolis, they, they feel it is. And to a lesser degree, drag racing a little bit, but um, they're really, you know, they, they have a depth of understanding and a really good reasoning why the Indianapolis, you know, 500 could, is better than those other things. Although they, I think they acknowledge the Formula One is faster, obviously, and takes a lot of skill. So they appreciate that as well. Um, so that was, that was pretty amazing. And um, then we went out to this uh, family game store where they have all these giant tables. John, you would love this place. Um, where, you know, you can, you can buy a whole bunch of games. It's like half of it's the store and half of it's like a free play area where you can play any game you want for free. There's no commitment. You don't have to buy food. You don't have to pay for table time. You don't have to rent it. You don't have to do anything. You just go in there and play a game. Uh, so that was pretty cool. So we played a game. Um, and so there was five of us playing, and I came in third, uh, and that's not bad. We didn't play the full game because Jed had to go teach a class, uh, so we kind of cut it short partway through, two-thirds of the way through the game. But it was a new game I didn't know before. I was able to pick it up relatively quickly, so that was nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and then we went to dinner, 
and uh, and then after dinner, uh, Brian uh, was they were giving Brian a ride home, because he hadn't driven, and um, uh, they, they and so I got a tour of Brian's house, and that was really cool. Um, so I was able to go sit on, um, I, you know, I talked about. Jed's place being Mario Marathon HQ 3.0 because there was Brian's first house, then Brian moved, and now transferred to Jed's. So this was also the couch that they all sit on, this famous couch. It was like the third couch because they had the first couch, then they bought a new couch, and now it's at Jed's, and so there's another couch. Uh, and so at Brian's place, he has the original couch and the second couch, and so I was able to sit on both of those. And so it's sort of like I was joking that uh, in my life so far, I have all these, like, internet goals of things I want to go see and do and be a part of, and a lot of them involve couches. <laughs> uh, so it's like the three Mario Marathon couches I've now sat on. Uh, so now it's just the couch in uh, James Rolfe's uh, uh, game room. That's the last one that's remaining. I don't think I'm going to hit there. I mean, he's got over 2 million YouTube subscribers. He's hugely famous. I am absolutely nobody. But, I mean, I don't want to sound trite, but I would have said the same thing about Mario Marathon three months ago. So dreams do come true. <laughs> it sounds so crazy to say about something like this. Because they're also so humble about it. I mean, they are in awe of the enormity of the response and what they've been able to do. They are completely humble about the whole thing. And, I mean, they're protective of it because they don't want it to be damaged because they know the good that it does. And that it's become important. And so they, I think they see it as almost a sacred duty that they are the keepers of this somewhat unique thing. I mean, sure, other marathons are out there and Twitch is blown up and people are playing games on the internet all the time now. Um, but the fact is that they've raised a substantial amount of money. And if that were to just go away for an extended period of time, you know, that's a hit to child's play. And that was some of the amazing things I had an opportunity to do. They went to Tapper's Arcade Bar and brought the giant controller, which the NES controller, the giant one they made years ago, uh, and hooked it up so people could play. And they wanted someone to do a play-by-play -play and do interviews. And for whatever reason, they selected me. And so I'm, I'm so tired. Um, and I was kind of like mocking, trying to do like a mocking version of play-by-play -play people. Because like one of the things that I find funny about like sports, hockey in particular, because that's the only one I watch, is they end up with these ridiculous stats just to fill the time. And I can appreciate it because it's a lot of time to fill having now done something like that. Um, where it's like, oh, if it's a Wednesday and that defending team is facing West with a Virgo forward, then, you know, they get shorthanded goals 2% of the time or ridiculous stats. It's a slight exaggeration for comic effect, but some of it is crazy. Day of the week sometimes factors into these hockey stats, which is nuts. Um... So anyways, I was, I was, you know, kind of doing a mocking thing, like, oh, he's going for the mushroom, unique ploy, and stuff like that. It felt cheesy, I was, really, I was filling time until a real person could come and fill the mic, uh, or take the mic and fill the time, and uh, they were just so supportive and wonderful, and, like, I took a break because I was losing my voice, and I, you know, um... OSG, orange shirt guy, went to go get me a Coke, which was really nice. Uh, and so I needed a little off-screen time to consume that and, you know, wet my whistle. Uh, and, but, like, people were screaming for me to come back. They wanted me to come back, and that was just really touching. Uh, especially because I didn't feel like I was doing my best at all there. Um, I was just, it was stream of consciousness. <laughs> a little bit like this is because I'm tired and I don't have a topic list for this podcast because it's just me, but... The, the reaction being so positive is absolutely amazing. It's, it's been a dream. I know it's a little trite to say, but whatever. If I have to be a cliche because it's true, that's what I have to be. Um, another thing was is I got to conduct an interview. 
Uh, in the past, Will Wheaton, Felicia Day, and others have, you know, um, represented as a child's play, uh, have, you know, called in through Skype. And so this time they were getting one of the founders of Penny Arcade, who in turn co-founded Child's Play, to call in. And it was, so it was Jerry, was uh, known as Tycho in the comics. And I could have swore that they had had like somebody from the high, like the one of the founders of Child's Play call in before, but I found out today this was actually the first time they've been trying to arrange this for years. And when the time came, Nate decided to pass it to me. And what a vote of confidence that is! He was he was trying to collect. We only had like thirty minutes warning that he was going to be calling in, so we were trying to get the technology put together quickly without like a lot of the key tech people weren't there. Uh, you know, Brian wasn't there. Uh, so we were trying to get that put together and Nate was trying to figure out questions and we'd had, uh, two TV crews come by, uh, and the second one came by when Brian wasn't there. And so Nate did the interview. And so it just seemed natural that Nate was going to run this and it was sounding that way. But he was like, oh, I need some questions. So I said, okay, I'll come up with some questions. I can, I can, I can do that. I mean, since the late nineties, I had been asking questions of Star Trek actors in like AOL chat because that's what I did way back in like the late 90s. I would go in and ask, you know, uh, and I would ask the actors. Like, I was really frustrated because people would go in and be like, what's happening to your character in two seasons' time? Or why did you decide to kill off this, you know, this your brother or son or whatever? And that's not what the actors do. So those questions really frustrated me because it was kind of like not bothering to consider who you're talking to. Uh, and, you know, generally they were really gracious in answering, but it felt like a waste of time because they were just very politely explaining that it wasn't them and then maybe talking about their opinions of the of why those choices were made. Where I would go in and I'd be like, okay, as an actor you chose to, you know, play this very subdued. Like, like what was your thinking there? Or, you know, uh, how has this affected your personal life? Or how much of, of you is in this character and in your portrayal? And I try to think about, like, what it, what it, what what is in the mind of an actor? What choices do they make? What do they bring to it beyond, you know, their appearance? Uh, and I would ask them about that. And, you know, sometimes I would ask them what they thought about the lines that were written for them and what was difficult to deliver. And, you know, like I was asking uh, Jerry Ryan about the eyepiece. What are the challenges of wearing that? Uh, I asked uh, Michael Dorn one time. I asked him what was his favorite line. He answered, and it was, nice planet. Great line. Uh, that was printed in the TV guide, I think. Uh, from the chat. They didn't, you know, attribute me as the one asking the question because I'm the least important person there. But I asked a question of an actor, he gave the answer, and it was printed in TV Guide. Like, wow, that's cool. You know. Um, so, you know, asking questions, I'd like to think that I was going to be able to come up with some that would respect the person I'm talking to and not just try to lead them to talking points or asking questions that weren't relevant or focus only on one thing. So I asked a lot about Child's Play and, like, you know, his personal experience with it. And I talked a little bit of my personal experience, but not too much. It's not about me, but I wanted to express my appreciation. And so there was a, a, a game TV unit in BC Children's Hospital that Julian had used one time when he had, you know, he had a bump in his head. It turned out to be fine, but there was a waiting room. And you got to wait for a while. And he knew the exact unit I was referring to. And his son, who had uh, gotten ill or hurt when they were in Vancouver, had played on the exact same unit. And so we formed this personal connection. And it was absolutely amazing. And so, and, and I was trying to think of, like, the Completely Unnecessary podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. If they could ask him a question, what would they ask that he, only he could answer? So they've recently announced the Super Nintendo Classic. And so I was asking him about that. Uh, one thing that's been discussed a lot lately in the gaming community is the decline of uh, E3. Although this year, I think, has 
regained some of its import because there was some cool stuff this year. But in the last few years, it has been on a steady decline, whereas PAX has been consistently popular. So I asked about that, and he gave some really interesting answers, and I won't repeat here because it's available elsewhere. Um, and, and, you know, I asked some fun, fun questions. Like, <laughs> I get, towards the end, I said, you know, this is the Mario Marathon. We're a hard-hitting news organization. Uh, I'm not going to let you off the line until you answer this question. I want a real sincere answer from you. What's your favorite breakfast cereal? And he got so into it and so enthusiastic about his answer. He was like about like he'd cussed and was about to swear and had to stop himself and remind himself that it was a that it was a family friendly show. So like it's a it's crazy, it's silly, I know. Uh and I mean, other than the money raised for child's play, it's not terribly important, but it means a lot to me. And it was like <laughs> You know, I, I have nothing but respect for uh, reporters and interviewers, and so I was I was able to basically like get I was able to rattle my interview subject and get a completely human moment out of him that was completely sincere and probably more honest than he wanted to be, or at least not phrased in like a prepackaged way. And so that was so cool. The fact that I was able to do that. I mean, it was over breakfast cereal, so it doesn't matter. But th- like that was a great moment. Um, and, and so that was just, that was so fantastic and it's such a great cause and being able to share my enthusiasm and maybe get other people excited about it has been so fulfilling, uh, and so meaningful to me. I just don't have the words. Uh, it's so many life goals have been crossed off my list. I've added some new, uh, like there's an amazing water park, uh, a, a substantial drive from here, but it sounds absolutely amazing. So like that's on the bucket list now, but I've crossed off so many things and like the tappers thing. Uh, you know, in the moment, I was just trying to get through it without passing out from exhaustion. Uh, and the feedback was so positive. But I was thinking about it. So I was doing play-by-play for a video game, right? Years ago, I think it was the first or second time Pat Contry was ever invited to Portland Retro Gaming Expo. He did the, the play-by-play and color commentary for the Tetris World Championships. And so it didn't sink in until about two days later that I was like, wow, I, I, I did like a smaller version, something kind of like Pat Contry did. Pat Country and James Rolfe, you know, they're kind of like YouTube heroes of mine. I really enjoy them. They're very smart. They're very entertaining. I respect them a lot. And so, you know, it's not the same scale. It's very different. But it's still, um, it, it, it's, it's just crazy to think that even at a smaller scale, I've been able to do something like that. It's just, it's been incredibly surreal. I think I'm going to be spending a long time processing you know, what it all really means and, and how great it was and my thoughts and feelings about the whole thing once I've been able to, you know, get some sleep. Um, but it was so amazing, like going to Brian's house and Shanna welcoming me in, uh, being like, well, you know, he's no stranger. I said that on day one, she said something like that. And all the positive feedback. I mean, I'm not chasing adulation or attention. As much as I want people to listen to the podcast and watch the the YouTube videos, it's not about aggrandizing myself. It's about sharing fun experiences other people can be having and maybe saving them some money along the way and stuff like that. Um, And this has all been about supporting a charity that I really care a lot about. And... um, you know, and, and, and you can go and you can donate to Child's Play at any time. And, you know, you can go through the Mario Marathon website and still donate even not during the event. There's no reason not to. Um, you know, if there is a next year, um, you know, tune in, support it, share it on social media. If I have the opportunity to come back, short of moving a cruise that uh, is about Mindy's birthday, other than that, I will move heaven and earth to get back here again. Um, as much to hang out with these these amazing people in this really nice place as it is to support this important, important charity. Um, but it's just been so amazing. 
So I, I just, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, when I was at Brian's house, he gave me something very special that I have been sworn to secrecy. I can't say what it is, but it's a very special souvenir. It means a lot to me that I've been after for a while. Um, and so, and being able to be part of the debrief session, when the marathon ends, they get all of the moderators from chat on like a Skype call with all the people in the room. And they kind of talk about like their initial because they wanted to get the feedback right away, like what worked, what didn't, any ideas that are fresh in your mind before we lose them with, you know, sleep, <laughs> that indulgence. And so being able to be there and maybe having an idea that might make, it, might make things a little better in the future, or maybe being able to uh, counterbalance an idea that isn't completely there, or maybe to help refine it so that it is a, just a little bit better, being able to have that little bit of influence that could magnify years from now, could make a difference in, we're never going to know how many children's you know, lives we've made a little bit better by doing this? We're never going to know. And so you just have to have faith that you know, it's all worth it. And it absolutely is. If it's one child, it's worth it. Um, but the fact that you know, we can multiply it and child's play, when they buy these toys, books, and video games, they go to the distributors. They go directly to the companies. Their money goes way further. They get it at cost, maybe below cost if that company is willing to be charitable. And so if you were to take $100, $60, whatever, go to your Toys R Us and buy a game, book, or toy, your money won't go as far as if you gave it to Child's Play. You know, they need their 6% to, you know, have like two or three staff members and, you know, pay for a couple of things. Um, you know, their website and all that, uh, you know, that 6%, but then they're going to buy it way cheaper and then magnify it by being hyper-efficient uh, every other step of the way. And even that 6% is an amazing model that uh, other charities wish they could achieve. So, um, you know, if, if you want to do good, do good smart. Magnify your impact and make it bigger. And, you know, that, that was part of... Will Wheaton called the Mario Marathon a laser of awesome. And not to get too technical, but part of what a laser is is it's a culmination of a lot of things to create this powerful beam. So it's a bunch of small things, a bunch of different pieces coming together to make something very focused and very powerful. And, you know, Laser of Awesome just sounds like a cool name. But during that interview, that's what I got out of it. I genuinely think that's what he was talking about, is bringing a bunch of people together to make something focused and super powerful. And that's why Laser of Awesome, as silly as it might sound, is a huge badge of honor, not just for the Mario Marathon crew, but everyone who supported it in any way. Even if it was just a single retweet, you're a part of that culminating effect that can make a huge difference, the magnitude of which we'll never even know. And that is absolutely amazing. So this really has become the, the, the raised reaction podcast to the Mario Marathon, but um, this is what it's been all about. And um, Indianapolis is a lovely place. It's very flat. They will own it. They'll tell you about how flat it is. You know, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of residential buildings above two stories. Uh, so versus like Vancouver, the population density isn't nearly as high. Um, and so I was driving by a house and it had a sign in front of it that said, uh, for sale, $27,985 motivated seller. Now they boarded up windows. And it was a little run down, but buy a house for $30,000 here. I mean, American dollars, but oh my God, anyone from Vancouver or Toronto or New York, Singapore, that's insane. I could buy that right now. I won't, <laughs> um, but wow. Uh, and so, you know, the Children's Museum is really big. I, it's really nice. A lot of parts of it reminded me of Science World. There's a lot of things you don't have at Science World. They had a giant bumblebee, which was cool. Um, 
And so, you know, I, I you know, I recommend coming uh, just to Indianapolis is a nice place to go. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really been an amazing ride. So, um, Coming up, uh, our next podcast will in all likelihood be recorded in September, where we are sailing out of Vancouver on the Carnival Legend once again uh, to Hawaii. So if you have any topics you'd like us to cover from that podcast, if you have any questions about that particular sailing or something you'd like us to film, please do submit it. Uh, you can reach out to us in a multitude of different ways. Uh, one of the better ones is... Um, you know, we're on YouTube. Uh, clips of this podcast will be on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, this is a clip of a longer audio podcast that you can listen to at vacationimpossible.podbean.com. But on YouTube, you can find us at youtube.com forward slash vacationimpossible. Subscribing there. Um, comment on a specific video. You can comment on the channel. Uh, we get notified when those things happen. We do our best to respond. Um, you know, if, if we feel that there's not much we can add, if a question has been asked, we might not necessarily respond. But by and large, I think 80-90% of the time we pr reply to comments and promptly. And so that's a great way to stay connected and interact with us. Uh, another great way is we do have a Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash vacation impossible. You can like the page and you can communicate with us that way and also keep track of things. And on our various social media platforms, there's, a, there's something a little different in all of them. You're not going to get the same thing. Uh, we're also on Twitter. So that's uh, the handle is vacay impossible just because there's a character limit we had to truncate that and i believe it's pinterest as well where we're vacay impossible just because of a character limit on the username so uh definitely uh follow us on twitter uh you can tweet at us you can send us a direct message if you have questions topics suggestions if you want to give us feedback uh you know how can we do better what don't you like what do you like that kind of stuff requests we're all too happy to do everything we can to help you out there uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, so you get a lot more pictures on Instagram than anywhere else. That's uh, Vacation Impossible is the account there. And um, just because this has been the Mario Marathon sort of podcast, uh, Raycast, as, as it were, definitely check out mariomarathon.com. Um, they, they, these are these are such fantastic people doing such important and fantastic work. I know I've said that a lot this podcast. I apologize. I'm repeating myself. I'm very tired. But... Um, they're just so wonderful, and it's so important, and any support you can offer is, is absolutely fantastic. Your suggestions for improvements, um, that, would, uh, that would definitely mean a lot. You can also email us directly, team at vacationimpossible.ca. That's another way you can contact us directly, uh, and uh, perhaps in a, in a less public forum, which uh, you know might be your preference. So for this trip, we've been staying at Candlewood Suites in Indianapolis, I believe it's East, I think. It's the Candlewood Suites, Indianapolis East. I have to say this is a very nice place. It's reasonably priced because it's sort of an extended stay facility, so they only do turn down service once per week, but uh, the rooms are very clean, very well appointed. They've got pretty decent Wi-Fi, lots of power plugs. The showers don't have very strong uh, water pressure, but um, the temperature control is very consistent. There's no fluctuation of temperature, which can be a problem on Carnival cruise ships, let me tell you. Also back home, that happens to me a lot. So it's nice having a consistent uh, uh, temperature. So um, they've been pretty good. You can have late check-in. Um, it's great. There is no pool. 
Um, but, you know, in your room, you've got a fridge, you've got a dishwasher, which was kind of a cool surprise. There's a, you know, there's a sink, there's a microwave, there's a coffee maker, there's pots and pans, cutlery, different stuff. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to make much use of that because the go, go, go nature of the Mario Marathon. Uh, there's a Circle K, kitty corner from here, and so I've rated that twice. Um, and so they've got some good stuff reasonably priced there. There is an Arby's across the street. And just beyond that, a Burger King. So uh, there's some good options. Um, if I were to come, if I were to come back to Indianapolis for the Mario Marathon, I would definitely stay here again. It's not very centrally located. It is near um, two highways. So if you're renting a car, it might be something worth considering. But I don't think that I personally would stay here if I came here just for vacation. But for Mario Marathon, it serves very well. During the Mario Marathon, VacationImpossible.ca is what's considered a partner site. So we temporarily put a donor widget um, on our homepage. And so that's normally just a little bit underneath the video that we have uh, featured on VacationImpossible.ca. So when the Mario Marathon's going on, you're able to donate through that, and the money still goes directly to Child's Play. The Mario Marathon still hears about it. You get the donation shout-out, but there's a leaderboard of partner sites, and so that helps us climb up that leaderboard. I believe this year we came in at three or four currently. So uh, we'll probably leave that up for a little bit. Feel free to donate through there. Another great partner site that I want to give a shout-out to is Social Blade. For those small YouTubers out there, Social Blade has additional analytics. They use the, uh, the YouTube API, and so sometimes their information's a little ahead of YouTube and sometimes a little behind, but they provide, I think the most useful tool is the Future Projections tab. It'll give you a lot of information about like gained subscribers, uh, lost views, that's also a great thing to look there. Uh, YouTube periodically um, audits views, and if it thinks that maybe they're fraudulent or maybe they're a result of you loading a page as you're doing other things, uh, and so it doesn't really count as an organic view or a view at all really, you know, uh, there was one day where there was an adjustment and our channel lost 1.4 thousand views. Uh, and so that was just that process. And so Social Blade's a good place to see that in an easy way. Uh, the YouTube Analytics doesn't display it quite so handily, I find. Um, it's because negative views is a crazy idea. How do you unwatch something? And, that, and that's sort of what that is. So... Um, that is one of the many useful things, but the future projections tab is great. Uh, for our YouTube channel, I had set an arbitrary sort of um, New Year's resolution goal at the beginning of this year, kind of just for fun, have something to shoot for, whatever. I uh, wanted to, uh, by the end of the calendar year, have 2,000, uh, sorry, 200 subscribers. And uh, we've already hit that goal, so that is fantastic. Thank you for your support. My other New Year's resolution goal that we are not yet quite on track for, according to Social Blade's projections, is uh, we want to hit 200,000 views by the end of the calendar year. So I'm hoping that we can make that. Uh, it's completely arbitrary, but it would be cool. So, you know, that that's great. We appreciate all your support. Um, but for Social Blade, Ergo, who created it, is a big fan, big supporter of Mario Marathon. He donated $1,000 uh, right before going to VidCon. And he changed the Social Blade logo on their website from the Social Blade logo to a Mario logo. And so they were one of the top partner sites and uh, we're all too happy to have been beaten by them uh, because they're such a great supporter. Ergo, so great. Uh, I just wanted to give that little shout out. So um, with that, I would like to conclude this episode of the Vacation Impossible podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my ramblings. Uh, I know this was a little Mario Marathon centric. It had 
almost nothing else. Uh, if that's not an interest to you, I apologize, but uh, I'm not going to stop talking about that when the time is right, let me tell you. Um, but uh, please do subscribe to the podcast. We are on uh, you know, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, you know, Podbean, a bunch of different platforms. So uh, you should be able to find us, subscribe to us, give us a positive rating if you like. If it's a negative rating, I would joke and say don't, but whatever, tell the truth, we don't mind. Positive feedback is great. I would, uh, I don't know, maybe say, hey, email us with suggestions and we can see about you know trying to uh, adjust before you give this a negative uh, review. But uh, regardless, thank you very much for listening. I'm going to sleep now. My wife's telling me no. But Jed Johnson, Jed Johnson and the children are telling me yeah. We've got to make this money. So the children won't be bored. I don't see nothing wrong with the Mario 